0: You have your Bibles, I'd ask you to find Romans chapter 1 with me. Um, you know, um what did I say? Well, they start with an R. Um, um Ruth chapter 1. Thank you. Ruth chapter Pay attention with the screen, not what I'm saying. Okay. Um, you know, back uh back when I was 13 years old, back when I was 13 years old, um my my, my oldest brother was in the Army. He was stationed in Germany. And um, and uh, I was at my uncle's house, my Uncle Buddy. That's my mom's oldest brother. And uh, my parents were playing music up in Green Level, which is sort of on the way to, you know, Hall River, Burlington area. And, and uh, I was bouncing on his trampoline. And uh, Uncle Buddy would usually be with them, but he had recently shot one of his fingers off by accident while cleaning a gun. And he had been a fiddle player and he was learning to be a dobro player um, and so he came out and says, listen, we got to go find your mom and dad I kind of know where they are where they're playing music. Uh, your brother's been in a very terrible accident we have to go tell them and so uh, we, we we did we got in the car and we went and it, you know it seemed like a long ride, but it wasn't you know it was just a few few miles away and told our parents you know sort of you know they had to just regroup and come back home and uh we did not have a telephone at our house and my brother was in germany and so it was uh every every few hours it was somebody calling somebody and then coming to relay information to us you know and so it just made every little interim between news feel heavy and long and um we were living we were living in samora at the time um Uh, I think it was called the Whales Place, wasn't it, David? That was the name of the farm. We were living on the Whales Place, and the driveway was really long, and so our dad would go over to Grandma's, and he'd he'd make the phone call or whatever, you know, get the news, and then he'd come back. And and I remember, I remember the the last trip because, you know, I was sitting outside, and I could hear the car coming down the driveway, and, you know, I just started watching, like seeing the car is going to tell me something, you know, but I'm watching, and I, I couldn't tell anything about the car. The, you know, the dust flew up the same as it always did, and whatever, you know. But when my dad got out, his whole entire body language was different, and I knew right then that my brother had passed. And it was it was that moment, you know. There was a there was a real shift in my childhood, and I was you know I was coming into being a young adult then. I was 13, but. I'll never forget it. I, I, I've always felt like I had two, two, two sort of childhoods. I had that one before my brother died and then that other one after my brother died. And then, you know, what also was happening is my older brothers were leaving home, you know, one at a time as they got older. And, it, you know, it just felt like everything, everything changed. And then one day, one day, all of them are gone and I'm there with my parents and all the sadness. All the sadness was just mine to share with them. And none of the expectation buoyed me in hope. And it was at that moment I says, man, I've got to get out of here. I got to go. It was more than that. There's nobody else to mow the grass, nobody else to burn the trash. It was more than that, you know. It was I can't handle this emotional load without some other folks to carry it with me when I read the story of Ruth it is no problem for me to connect we're going to read about 10 years and five verses and we read those 10 years and five verses we're going to see a family just get utterly destroyed so I've given as our main idea of the scripture I already read read today Because if you do not keep sovereignty in mind, if you do not keep eternity in mind, if you don't keep the providence of God out in front of you, then the tragedies that will envelop years of your life will seem to define you. And what I've learned is that my life moves from sad thing to sad thing, but God has become the buoy of my hope. He is my hope. And when I look at The things in my life that don't feel like they make a lot of sense, I refuse to only consider them in the time of my life. I consider them against the expanse of eternity, and I am not left depressed. I am left filled with hope. I am not left feeling like it made no sense. Suddenly, with Naomi and Ruth, I start to see there's a trajectory, even in the tragic, And I'm not going to emerge out of this more bubbly than I was yesterday. You guys know me. Not a lot of bubbles here. But every time I delve into the book of Ruth, every single time, I come out more convinced that my God is king. So impactful was this book on Karen I's life that it was no doubt than, you know, little just a little side here you know we were those weirdos who never found out what what gender our child was until the day they were born and we were really surprised because I was a hundred percent convinced it was a it was a it was a boy and then Katie you're not a boy good job not being a boy but we absolutely knew what her what her name if it was going to be a her she had a name it was Katie Ruth because this book had impacted us so deeply it was through this story of one family that I began to even make sense of my own life. And I wasn't saved through the reading of Ruth, but I was saved from 30 years of bitterness. by starting to see that decades of trouble can be made light at the foot of the cross. Join me as I read Ruth chapter number one. Ruth chapter number one, verses one through five. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Killian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Father, as we open your word, open it to us. Give us hope. Give us vision. Lord, we want good theology, but... Better than that, we want good theos. We want to meet with you. So, Father, help us to hear your voice and begin to put us on a trajectory of hope that moves us forward rather than causes us to live in the bitterness of our past. More than anything, cause us to see King Jesus. From cover to cover, this book's about him. Help us to see him clearly in these pages. In Jesus I pray, amen. There is no way to pull punches when the book of Ruth opens. No way to pull punches. I, I want to I do something different today. It's even different for me. I've wrestled with this passage. Instead of giving you sermon points and filling you in behind them, I want to tell you some narrative stories here uh, uh, coming from this passage to illustrate this passage. And then I want to give you some conclusions that I'm finding helpful in my study. This story is insane. First off, it happens in the days when the judges ruled. So we have to sort of characterize what it was like in the days when the judges ruled. In as brief a terms as I can speak, I want to just say this. In the days when the judges ruled, it was a very dark time. If you were to ask me what, what's one passage that would sort of characterize the days of the judges, I would tell you it would be Judges 2, 11 through 19. I'm going to read through those in a moment because it paints a picture in much shorter words than I ever could. When the days of the judges, when did it happen? Between possessing the promised land and the time of the monarchy, before they had kings. And what happened was it was a very tribal life, and uh, tribes were ruled by chieftains. And whenever there were problems, uh, God would raise up some chieftain to be the judge. And as the judge ruled, the people seemed to do right. But as soon as the judge died, they'd just go to acting the fool again. And that's the story. So let me share with you, it's, it's, it's about eight verses, eight or nine verses, and, but I don't think I could tell it any more succinct. I think we can, we, can, we can sum up the whole book of Judges with this passage and one more verse. It reads like this. It'll be on the screen. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. That's a a terrible testimony, isn't it? Always one generation, if not a half a generation from falling apart. Now, we don't know what part of of, of the book of Judges that the story of Ruth happens in because we do know, we're not exactly sure how long after the period of the Judges ends that Ruth was written, but it was sometime afterwards. Was it in the reign of King David, Hezekiah, Josiah? Probably one of those. Tim, say definitively. I don't know. It doesn't matter as much as knowing the story. But if just to recall some of the, some of the stories, let me throw a few names at you. Did it happen during the story of Othniel? Did it happen during the story of Ehud? Did it happen during the story of Barak and Deborah? Did it happen during the time of Gideon or Jephthah or Samson? Samson or one of my favorite biblical names. Did it happen during the time of Shamgar? Why does no one name their child Shamgar? It's a you're thinking about it. Praise God. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly says you just lied in church. How do you know? How do? You, that's legit. We're thinking about Shamgar right now. Yeah, thank you. I, I think I think uh, Shamgar, uh, Case Man Shamgar, would be a great name. Or you know if you really want to go for it. You know, was it the Judge Ibzan? Shamgar Ibzan Adams. We could call him Shamib. Boy, how did we go there. Thanks, Casey. <laughs> what we do know about the story of Ruth is it happened in the days when the judges ruled. I know, I know, Tony Morita, pastor over in Raleigh, preaching on this very passage he he summed it up a lot better than I could he said this time in the days of the judges was a period filled with violence idolatry moral depravity and civil war you you read the book and he's like tell me could you sum up the book of judges yes it was a time of violence idolatry moral depravity and civil war wow so it's basically the evening news As judges, if you would ask me for one verse that would sum up the character of people in the book of Judges, I would say it's Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And if that, that doesn't make you think of the flood, you hadn't read Genesis in a while. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's no accountability, the people run Wild. They have access to the God who makes the mountains smoke, and they bow down at poles carved out by man's hands. So let me give you one conclusion that should encourage you. Conclusion number one. It is during dark times that God's providence shines brightest. What do I mean? Because what does he do? Of all the foolishness going on, even among his choicest of chosen people, God pulls out the telescope and says, let's look down at one family. And I'm going to show you through one family how you absolutely cannot out my plan for mankind. And suddenly, this little ray of hope in the story of Ruth, this little ray of hope, you know, we can't miss something here. And this is no spoiler because you guys know the book of Ruth. The guy that Ruth will eventually marry and have a kid with is the son of Rahab. You know, the chick from Jericho, that girl. You know, you know, guys... When man is at his worst, God is at his regular. It's not that God rises to the occasion. He just doesn't change. And sometimes across the backdrop of all of our failures when we clearly see what he's doing. So let me give you challenge number one. I have a few challenges for you guys. Challenge number one, be godly people no matter what is normal in our culture. Somebody say amen. No matter what is normal in our culture. there's a lot of things that are normal, there's a lot of things illegal, but still ain't right. They are cloaking ourselves proudly with the veils of darkness and dancing in the face of God. Don't give me this mess just because everybody's doing it. What we need to do is to be godly people, no matter what is going on in our culture it was such darkness in that time that we might be surprised to find godly people truth is they're not so godly they've left the promised land they're marrying foreign women it's not a problem marrying foreign women it's not a problem marrying people of a different color the problem is they're people of foreign gods who worship foreign gods they have yoked themselves unequally with people who are bereft of spiritual truth. One commentator, Daniel Block, points out that to look at the story of Ruth seems like a crisis for the royal line. Now, if you can, if you can and if you're brave enough, think back to November 2020. Can some of you guys remember November 2020? It was a few months ago. Remember, remember, no matter who would have won the presidency? No matter, there would have been a great wailing across the land. Am I right or wrong? And one guy won, one guy lost. Some people still doubt the legitimacy of the results. We're not here to debate that. And there was a great wailing across the land. It's hard when people are wailing to tell them God is still in control. No, they've let us down. The liberals are taking over. The voting machines were rigged. Woe is me. Elimelech could relate. Where is God? I'm hungry. H-O-N-G-R-E-E. That's more terrible than regular hungry. That's extra hungry there's a famine. I'm a guy. I've got to watch after my wife. I've got to watch after my kids. What am I going to do? See, we can't even fathom a famine. We can't. Nobody in this room can fathom a a famine. Do you guys remember? Anybody who was alive in the 70s and 80s, you remember when they had the famine in Sudan and Ethiopia? Who remembers that? Who remembers seeing it on TV? I'm going to tell y'all something that's a little shocking to you. I was a smart aleck kid. Hold on. I mean, don't keep your breath. I remember one time my grandma, I stayed with my grandma a lot. She made me something I didn't like for lunch, and she pulled that grandma line on me. I said, I don't want this. She said, you gonna eat it? And I said, I don't want it. And she says, the starving children in Sudan. And I said, well, send it to them. Now, she was left-handed, and she liked to broke her whole left hand on the whole side of my head. And when I got up out of the floor, I ate that lunch. I know that stuff's out of fashion, but she's dead and she don't care what y'all think is popular. We cannot fathom a famine. So before we get down on Elimelech, let's sort of put ourselves in his shoes. I don't know if any other man in here, as a matter of fact, I, I, I know you do. I know you do. I don't know if any other man will be vulnerable enough to tell it, but as a man, some days I feel nearly overwhelmed with the responsibility of being a husband, a dad, and a provider. You know, I'm not one paycheck away from poverty, but you pile up two or three and your boy's in trouble. Hard for me to judge a I know the weight. I was joking with one of my daughters recently about having opinions in our house, you know. I was like, when you are holding this all together, you're, you can have opinions. Until the end, there's one opinion, and it's mine. They're still laughing. <laughs> and it was a good time, but do you think I'm serious? I'm serious. What's my point in all this? Yes, Elimelech leaves Leaves Bethlehem, Judah. He leaves away from the people of promise. He sets his family up for gross error. I at least understand the pressure the man was in. I've never even faced a famine, and I feel the weight of living in a prosperous society. I feel it. And it pushes against my decisions all the time. I got an extra 200 bucks yesterday. And it should be, honestly, it should be no problem to drop 20 of that in a tithe. But it was cash, and it doesn't go through anybody's bank account, and I'm wrestling with, do I give up this $20? And Before I can give in too much to going against things I value myself, I quickly run the $20 through uh, bill pay, (laughs) send it out before I can undo it, (laughs) get out of here. (laughs) I've been known to run by the mailbox, the blue one, the one I can't get my hand back in, and drop things in it before I could reverse my values. I'm just saying... It's easy to sit here and judge a So there's a reality, reality number one. I'm only going to give you guys one reality. It's fair to say we live in dark times too. Isn't it fair to say that? Just as the immediate suffering of the family of Ruth is not the central focus of her story, neither is it the defining commentary of our own times that we live in dark times too that the same thing that Tony Marilla said about the book of Judges could be said about our times, that it's true does not excuse us from the challenge of making godly decisions today. But let's be honest about the reality. We're living in dark times, but I believe that there's a story to be told of what God will work through us, and he's writing that story right now. I wonder what story he's writing in my household I wonder what story he's writing in my community, what story he's writing through East Rock Communities Church. I know, I know it to some degree. He's pointing us to the Messiah and calling us to trust him, trust him that he's going to return and take his church back to to his place. And each one of us is going to have a matching in glory, and and, there will be no more shame, and no more tears, and no more fears, and no more sorrow. I've got the big narrative. It's just some days it seems so cloudy between here and there. Challenge number two. Against the dark backdrop of our days, we are called to shine. I would love to take some time, and I'm not. I already see it's flying if it's not flown. I'd love to take some time and just Talk about how God leads us in triumphal procession. We're happily conquered people who now he parades around, and we are joyful slaves in the hand of a good king. What a privilege. Shine, folks. What I see in the story of Ruth, and we're going to get into it more and more, what I see in the story of Ruth leads me to conclusion number two. The book of Ruth teaches us to adore the providence of God. No spoiler here. We got seven more weeks in Ruth, but you guys know what's going to happen. You've already told part of it. Elimelech's dead. Woo. Right? And, and if, you can't, if you can't lean into this story, it's 2021. It's 2021. I have a wife and two daughters. Okay? Naomi had a husband and two sons. It's hard for me to fathom that by 2031, my wife is dead, both of my daughters dead, and I'm living with two pagan sons-in-laws. I ain't even so sure about Christian boyfriends. And you're gonna leave me with pagan husbands. In nomine Patris, in filio Spiritu Sancti. But when I see that God brings, when He puts a telescope. Even the microscope down in this family, we see the tragedy. But do you see the glory? They're going to be in the lineage of the king. And in the midst of all of man's fatal flaws, God is working our salvation. And that's the beauty of this story. God is working our salvation. Adore the providence of God. I've got a couple passages. Let me read one. First Samuel 2, 7 and 8 says this. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Our God is in control. Our God is in control, church. Rejoice in that. Though night be dark, and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. And if the shrinking church disappears from the face of every community in America, God will still work his work. Conclusion number three. The design of God in the book of Ruth is to lead us to Christ of whom the book speaks. You say, wow, that's that's not a big deal, Tim. It is. From cover to cover, this book is about Jesus. And when it seems like God could do no good thing in the realm of man, what does he do? He focuses on a family and builds a genealogy. He creates an incubator, builds a garden, and up from it springs a root of Jesse. Many of you guys will remember Noelle Hayward. She liked um, these things called succulents. I've got to be honest. I'd seen them before. I didn't even know what they were called until I met Noelle. I was, I mean, why have a succulent if it's not meant to eat? I mean, why have something that sounds like it's going to be tasting good and you just look at it? That's like calling a banana a rock. It don't make any sense to me. Here, have this rock. No, thank you. It doesn't sound good. Here, have this succulent. Oh no, I'll die. <laughs> what I like about these little you know, and she had a succulent garden in the office and and she said something about having this garden. I was like, Cool, where is it? I've missed it. It was just in one little pot. <laughs> it was just, you know, a bunch of little midget things, living together in a little happy community, being succulents together. It was very unsuspecting to me, and I thought it was very cool. It was lovely, right? This is the story. It's very unexpected that in this dark, ugly place springs up a garden of God that will bear fruit through eternity. Don't miss Jesus here. He's a direct descendant of Ruth. The conversion of Ruth is symbolic of the Gentiles being pulled into the family of God, into the covenant of God. And the whole story takes place in Bethlehem. Isn't that a trip? What town does he bring into fo- focus except the town of Micah 2, where Jesus will be born? Micah 5, excuse me, Micah 5, 2. So conclusion number four. This won't be anything new to y'all. Say it together. Ultimacy trumps immediacy. Oh, go ahead. Hayden, look up. Make room. Look up. I provide all sorts of services while I'm here. (laughs) Praise God. Baby names, seating, I do it all. I'm not gonna sing, brother, don't worry. So what should we take away here? Challenge number three is a big one. See your trials not for what the flesh and the world judges them to be, but as opportunities to shine. There's not a verse that I have equal heartbreak over and joy over more or passage than I do James 1, 2 through 4. It it just gets to me. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces a steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Whoa, count it all joy, I like that part. When you meet trials of various kinds, here's where the great theologian Scooby-Doo would chime in and say, "Butt row. So in 10 years, I've lost my whole family. I'm left with these two pagan daughters-in-law. And and you're going to send some guy and tell me, hey, count that all joy. Yes. But to do that, brothers and sisters, we can't live our lives through the lens of the American dream. We can't live our lives through the lens of our years on earth. Ever thought about that? You can't even do that through the lens of the two, three, or four generations that you'll experience in your own family. To count it all joy, we have to see it across the scope of eternity. All things are working together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Everything is being reconciled in Christ Jesus. It is. So you take both of my childhoods. The loss of my brother, the wreck of my, my parents, the kids he never raised, and their still quite rocky lives. Take the poverty, the alcoholism, the, the ignorance, all of that. And you can say one of two things. You can say one of two things. You can say, that's the reason why I can be okay feeling terrible all the time. Or you can say, the God who never stops working even in the darkest of days will even take my story and work it together for good. Now, I know, (laughs) well, at least I think I know, (laughs) Because, you know, this whole Messiah thing only happened once. He's not working the Messiah out through my genealogy, but guess what he's doing? He's working me into the Messiah's genealogy. So what's going on in your life today? I want to give an idea of response or reflection to two groups of people in this room. To the children of God, and not everybody's a child of God. Contrary to popular notion. Everyone is a creation of God. You have to be adopted through Christ Jesus to be a child of God. So children of God, what costly decisions might we make in our day when we make any decision without keeping God's word? Elimelech does this. I could talk all day long about this. I mean, I left some stuff in the bulletin for you, what their names meant. Just tell the story through the meaning of their names. What am I saying? Children of God, do not leave God out of one area of your life. Do not. Out of anything. Out of anything. And to the, to the orphans out there, would you come into the family of God? Would you? I believe he has orchestrated everything down to this moment even. Nothing is surprising God. For you to see that even in the darkest of times, God is doing a work. And maybe the work he's doing today is a work in your life uniquely. Where he's causing you to see this this Jesus thing isn't happenstance, it isn't emotionalism, it is God's eternal plan. And he, he worked it. He worked it. He worked it for his glory and he's working it for your good. And if you'll believe on the name of Jesus and his works, that he died to pay the penalty of our sin, that he rose to defeat death, that he is the peacemaker between man and God. If you'll believe on Jesus and receive him as Lord, the Bible says you will be given the right to be the sons and daughters of God. You get adopted. I wasn't born into this family. I was reborn into it. I was born into the family of Satan. I was reborn into the family of God. Ruth reminds me that outsiders can find a home that should have never been theirs. Me too, Ruth, me too. Difficult days push us to difficult decisions. How will we live? How will we make our decisions? Day to day, what understanding are we leaning on? None of us can outpace God's sovereignty, but we can miss his pleasure. Elimelech Elimelech leaving God's house of bread and praise and taking his puny and sickly son and his pleasant wife off to a foreign land to marry off to, 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 to dear and friend. For him to do all of that, he didn't stop the plan of God. Somebody say amen. But you know what he did? He exited the pleasure of God, and it cost his family dearly. You know what? Everybody's safe in the hands of Jesus. Everybody who's in the hand of Jesus is safe. We won't thwart his plan. We'll just miss the fellowship. So what's your story today? Maybe you come in the room and you need hope. You need to see that your bad decisions can't outstrip God's goodness. Hallelujah, it can't. Maybe you need to be reminded that his sovereignty is bigger than your sorrow. Hallelujah, it is. Maybe you're the outcast who's been looking for a family. Hallelujah. You can be adopted. You can be my brother, my sister, his child. The story of Ruth reminds me that he doesn't let the elect go, and he takes the foreigner and brings them in. This is our God. He's worthy of our response and our celebration. Today, today, respond as he leads you. We're going to sing. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe you need to sit quietly. Maybe you need to cry in sorrow or in joy. Maybe you need to sing at the top of your lungs. Let God lead your response. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the story of Ruth. Thank you for this family. Thank you for this family who, in spite of all their error, could not subvert your sovereignty. Lord, where I failed as a husband and a dad, I know I cannot thwart your plan. God, I want to maximize my joy. I want to know you more. I want my wife to know you more. I want my daughters to know you more. I want my friends to know you more. So, Father, help us to enjoy your sovereignty. In Jesus I pray, amen and amen. Amen.